It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, you're listening to The Future of Media Explained with me, Press Cadet Editor-in-Chief Dominic Consford. And this week... We're learning all about making B2B pay without a paywall. And joining me to talk about one of my favourite subjects is Prescott's Associate Editor, Will Turville. Hi, Will. Hello, Dom. I got very excited then. I thought you were going to say I was one of your favourite people. Disappointed when you said favourite subjects. That's not me. One of my favourite people as well, of course. Thank you. I'm quite excited about this podcast because I love working in B2B. Oh, don't we uh, all? And I, and I love B2B without a paywall because that's what Prescott is. And I really love the company, the CEO of which you've interviewed, Industry Dive, which is um, began for 10 years, hasn't it? And it's done, I think, what a lot of journalists or and editors would love to do, which is to set up your own website, a couple of mates, start covering an industry vertical, add a bunch of more verticals and then sell it for a load of money later on. That's everyone's dream, isn't it? Yeah, it's a pretty inspiring story. Yeah, so just to go through the details that we have or potted history, yeah, founded in 2012 with five publications and three employees uh, and a few freelancers. Uh, They made it work and they've carried on expanding and now they're in nearly 30 markets from banking, marketing uh, to pharma and IT. So yeah, so it's a great success story, I'd say. So you first spoke to Industry Dive a couple of years ago and introduced them to me and to Prestigate readers. Lots happened since then, though, and you've spoken to CEO Sean Griffey to bring us up to speed. So what's been going on in the world of Industry Dive since you last met him? Yeah, well, they've continued to expand, both in terms of employees and the number of titles they operate. And the big thing is that they were bought by Informa, the UK-based B2B business, for £323 million over the summer. So... It was a business that was looking promising, and then all of a sudden it's got this large valuation on its head as well. So those are the main developments. It's a good time to be talking about them, because Informa, the new parent company of Industry Divers, just took their trading update out. And yeah, despite Quasi Kwarteng and Rishi Sunak and the Bank of England all, all trying to put a bit of a downer on the economy in the UK, Informa's going from strength to strength. I think they're, they've increased their revenue target and their profit target for the year ahead, their PLC, and giving them a market cap of about $8 billion, which is which is tidy. And I think one of the yeah. things that they, they put that success down to is the sort of audience and the kind of marketing technology that they've acquired 
from industry dive. So although the macroeconomic picture is a bit gloomy, and it's looking probably particularly gloomy in the UK, just goes to show that the it's not going to be the same recession for everyone, and some companies doing really well, especially by the looks of it, business-to-business media. Will, tell us what Sean had to say for himself, how we can all be as rich and successful as him. Well, listen on then, Dom, because it's going to be great. I started off by asking him just to give me a potted history of Industry Dive, and then I started asking him a few questions about how he decides which markets he should launch into and what he looks for in a market. So I think he should answer a lot of your questions and should be of good interest to you. So Industry Dive is a B2B media company headquartered out of Washington, D.C. We have a team of over 100 journalists now who cover news for executives in niche markets. So we have publications anywhere from the electric utility space to biopharma to retail. You name it, we're covering niche industries for senior executives who are looking to understand the news and trends that are shaping their careers, shaping their companies, shaping the industries that they operate in. We've been around almost 11 years now. January will be our 11-year mark. started in 2012 with myself and two co-founders, Ryan Wilson and Eli Dickinson. We started with an idea that the media industry could, that there was a lot of angst in the media at the time about how, what are sustainable models? What can support media? And we were real believers, marketing-supported, ad-supported media still really could work. But where it worked was where the audiences were incredibly valuable. And that's often in niche markets. And so we set out in 2012 to cover niche markets. We launched with five on day one, which was a bit ambitious because we were a bootstrapped company with three employees. So the three of us and a robust group of freelancers set out to cover five industries. I'll be the first to admit that the publications were not very good. And I would encourage people not to go look at the internet way back machine to see what we were producing in 2012. But our view was that if we were going to build a company to scale and you were in niche markets, you had to be in a lot of them. And one of the things that we'd seen over time, that I'd seen over time was there's a lot of entrepreneurs that say, I, I want to build something across multiple markets, but I'm going to perfect one of them. And as soon as I perfect the first, I'm going to launch into the second, and third, fourth, and fifth. And then they get stuck because you're never perfect, right? Our publications today aren't perfect. So we launched with five of them and tried to get a little bit better every day, every year, and eventually got to where we are today. Which, you know, when we last announced, we're doing over 100 million this year in revenue, over 400 employees, and we've been growing really quickly the whole time. Yeah. And taking that back a little bit, how do you launch a specialist title from scratch, from nowhere? It just sounds incredible that you could just do that with, uh, so you had some freelance journalists, but I guess what the reason I asked that is I recently interviewed Jim Vanderhey at Axios, and he's obviously, that's another wonderful success story of the digital media space. But they, he launched Politico, he launched Axios with big star names who had big Twitter followings, that sort of thing, covering politics or high profile areas. How do you just launch yourself into a specialist area like banking and persuade bankers and leaders to read you? Yeah, I'm 
So you're right. Jim and the Exos crew have done a tremendous job twice. It's it's easy to be a one-hit wonder, but to create two iconic brands in short time is truly amazing. And so I'm incredibly impressed with what that crew does. I'm jealous that they've been able to attract a star talent right off the bat every time they launch something. For us, we were a really modest business. Like I said, we were bootstrapped. So we were not paying ourselves for the first year and a half, two years. We didn't draw a salary. We just clotted away. And, and for us, I think the first thing to launch is we had to be incredibly disciplined about what markets we wanted to be in. And then how does that fit how we know to monetize them? So our criteria of looking at industries, we looked for industries that were heavily impacted by regulation or technology. So there's a need to know the news, right? People have to keep up with what's going on or their industry, their companies or jobs can change around them. We look for industries with high capital spend and that sounds obvious, but there's some markets that are better, better served for subscription revenue, right? If, if the readers there aren't buying things, then obviously a, mar a marketing supported, ad supported business isn't gonna work. We tried to launch into spaces, the electric utility where they're buying a lot of software, a lot of heavy equipment to make the industry go around. The purchasing power of the executives there is high so that, that people wanna reach them. Not so obvious, but it's amazing how often people miss that, right? They launch into something and it turns out who they're writing for doesn't actually buy anything. And they're trying to do market supporting business. And all you can do is sell generic consumer goods against it. And you just can't monetize that in a niche market because you just don't have the audience scale to do that. Um, so we look at that. We look for trade shows as a proxy for a market. Right. So if there's a 50,000 person trade show, those are 50,000 potential readers. And if there are 750 exhibitors at that trade show, those are all potential marketers. And so for us, we weren't trying to create new markets. We didn't want to be the first crypto publication or we didn't want to be the first cannabis publication. We wanted to go where there were dollars. And so we look for signs of dollars and trade shows and other publications are a good one. So that's our lens of how we looked. How you would attract the audience was just hand-to-hand -hand combat, trying to get people to read it, trying to get them to share it. We, in 2012, we stumbled into LinkedIn groups, which was a really Quick, quick, easy way to pull together groups of industry execs. That doesn't quite work as well anymore with some of the changes LinkedIn's made over time. But we use those groups to really spread the word. We created groups, we acquired groups, and then we use them to spread the word of the publications. And so that was our growth hack at the time. But I think you just got to look for them. But there's no easy answer. There's no quick way to build a brand. You just have to show up and create something that people value every day. Yeah. And you, of course, you're still launching publications today. Does that become much easier once you know the tricks or is it quite difficult because it's a new market every time? We launch in two different ways. Sometimes we pick brand new markets that we have no audience or overlap with. And those are hard. If I went into agriculture today, we have no publications that even touch on the agriculture side of the business. And so we'd be starting from scratch. And we try to like the, we try to launch those even though they're going to be harder because we know five years from now they'll be paying off. But we also launch adjacent publications to some of our industries. And we find now that we've built critical mass of audience that those can grow much faster. So an example is just, just two months ago, we launched a convenience store publication and we already have a grocery store publication. We have restaurants and so we have food and retail, right? Which are all 
tangentially related to the convenience store. And so what we're able to find is that we have audience already that's interested in convenience stores that will sign up and grow faster. And we also have advertisers that want to reach both, right? In, in fact, that was an example of an advertisers really pushing us to launch into the market because they enjoyed the results they were getting in our other publications and would come to us and say, if you could expand you know, the restaurant and the grocery into convenience stores, we'd be interested in that. So th- those are a little bit easier, but absolutely when you go into a fresh market, it's still just as hard. Yeah. So I wondered whether you could provide us with a breakdown of Industry Dive's business currently as a whole. So how much of your revenue comes from advertising, events? How does that all break down currently? Yeah, it's it's a little interesting. And I'm going to be honest and open until someone slaps me, but I'm now we're now part of a public company. And so I'm realizing to myself is I'm not sure how much of this I'm supposed to be sharing versus this is something that, that we need to keep. But overall, you know, we say we are materially 100% marketing supported, meaning we we don't have subscriptions. We don't monetize the audience directly today. So marketers support almost all of our business. We don't have in-person events. We have a healthy digital event business and webinar business. I think if you look at our revenue, what we call sort of distribution, which is the newsletters and the websites account for more than half of our revenue. And the the newsletters in particular drive the bulk of that. Less than 10% of our revenue comes from banner ads on the websites, right? And we do zero programmatic advertising. It's all a direct model. So the revenue from the newsletters and the websites are the biggest. The next biggest chunk is we have a fairly scaled content studio that that is helps our clients create content. One of the things that you know, you hear all the time is that every company is a media company. And I, I really believe that. But I think those of us who are in the media industry know how hard it is, right? And every company is a media company, but there's no way every company can operate like a media company and they need help. And so we launched our content studio to help our clients tell compelling stories, you know, tell their own compelling stories. And so the studio, you know, is probably doing 35, 40% of our revenue. And then the virtual events business makes up the rest. Are you tempted at all to move into paywalls or have you been in the past? You know, I think we're tempted to move in a lot of different directions. I think subscription is one that we've looked at that I'm less interested in. I think we'll absolutely be in events uh, at some point. Where I really think there is an opportunity is to rethink community and peer groups within our audiences. I think there's, we talk about in a lot of our, in our audiences or a lot of our markets, there's what we call abandoned job titles, right? There may be one person focused on sustainability in a, in one of these companies, right? Sustainability is a big push within the company, but they put one person as their chief sustainability officer and that person doesn't have direct peers within their organization. We see that across a lot of our companies. And so if you can imagine if we could create a peer group of chief sustainability officers that have access to each other, that have access to the insights that our newsroom and research are pulling together, if they could then attend events that we launch and the rest, it, it could be really powerful. And so I think when I think of how we serve the audience and monetize them directly, I really think there's a, an opportunity to do what companies like World 50 have done, what the corporate executive board before Gartner bought it for a long time did, 
But at a slightly different level, those companies serve the C-levels. I think in our industry, there's a need for peer communities for directors and VPs that aren't being served today. And so I'm, I'm excited to do that at some point. I'm not sure when it's going to be on the top of the roadmap, but I think that'd be our first step. Yeah. And how many niches do you think that you could ultimately launch into? From a newsletter, I think we're going to accelerate what we've been launching. We've been launching three to four publications each year. I think next year you'll see us more than double that. So there's there, there's still 25, 30 more markets on our whiteboard that we really look look to, to want to tackle over time. Mm. And how many would that bring you to overall if you were to get this? We're, we're 28 right now. And so I think those are another 30 or so that we like. But I think there's also, if you look at how we tackle markets, there's niches within the publications that we have now. So we have a healthcare publication, Healthcare Dive, that takes a very broad view of the healthcare industry, right? But if you stop and say, how big is healthcare as part of the global economy? It's bigger than just one publication. There's uh, health IT publications in there. There's nursing publications in there. There's health pair publications in there, right? So I think for, if you look 10 years down the line, it's we want to launch into 20 or 30 new markets, but we also want to go deeper in each ones and subdivide a lot of the markets we're in right now. Hi, I'm Armando Yanucci. And I'm Anusha Kellyan. And we present Westminster Reimagined on the New Statesman podcast. Each episode, we'll be taking a look at how our politics has got so broken and whether there's anything we can do to fix it. We hear from people shaping our society, from the front line to the corridors of power, alongside campaigners, journalists and satirists, including John Stewart, Ian Hislop, Rosamond Adukisi Deborah, and Catherine Haddon. You can listen to all three series now. Just search the New Statesman podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Or go to newstatesman.com forward slash Westminster Reimagined. How's the advertising market looking for you currently? It's been remarkably resilient. I think it changes in how people operate when there's times of economic uncertainty. There's definitely a focus on direct lead generation and getting closer to a sale for some of our clients than there were maybe at different times. And people are buying much shorter durations. So instead of committing for an annual campaign, they keep the powder dry a little bit longer and they'll buy last minute, last quarter and the rest. Certainly it's not as robust as it's been at different times. I'll, I'll be the first to admit that. But it's we're still growing as a company and the business is still growing, growing through it. And we're pretty optimistic that the businesses we serve have built Worcester sitting on cash ready to withstand this. And a lot of a lot of our clients and the more forward-thinking clients really understand in times of economic uncertainty is when they can separate themselves from the pack. And there's a good group that are coming to us and want to be more aggressive. So... Over the summer, Informa bought Industry Dive for £323 million, which was, I can't remember how much it was worth in dollars at the time, but now it's worth approximately $323 million as well. 
because of the <laughs> <laughs> no i'm sure that's not quite the case but how did that deal come about well i think the start of it stop and say we had taken on private equity partners in 2019 and the reason we did that was my my co-founders and i after bootstrapping that for what seven eight years just realized that the business deserved more and that the potential of the business would be hamstrung without a partner that could help accelerate it and we had a tremendous success with Furious Capital partners who were a private equity group for a couple of years. As good as that had been, I think we came to another inflection point at the start of this year when we said the business still deserves more. It deserves more than what even Furious can give to us in terms of resources. And so we went on the market to look for a new partner. Furious left as part of the transition with Informa. And I think, you know, what really attracted us to Informa, you can you can see some of the complementary nature of our businesses, which I think people think of, oh, this is why they did it, which is Forma is the world's premier event company serving specialist business markets, right? But without a doubt, they are the leaders in it. We have zero events. We view ourselves as the world's premier B2B media company scaled across industries. And that's something that Informa hasn't done as well as focus on the media. And so if you put the two groups together, you say, that alone is, can we launch events at Industry Dive and can Industry Dive bring digital media expertise into Informa? That's going to be a win. And that is certainly the truth. But to me, the hidden thing that made this so appealing to us was this shared vision of data and the role of first-party data can play in the market going forward. And when Informa came with their vision of and the work that they've done to consolidate all of their data that they have into actual in- insights and you know how our data would feed into that, I became really excited. I, you know, I personally became really excited for what the combined companies could build. And if you think about, we've got a tremendous amount of first party online behavioral and intent data. I can tell you what 200,000 CFOs across 28 industries are reading and doing every day. Informa can tell you what they do offline. They can tell you what events they go to. They can tell you what sessions in those events they listen to, which vendors they visit on the show floor, right? And if you can combine those two things, the offline behavior with the online behavior, it's really compelling for how you can better serve those audiences and how you can better connect them to marketers at the right time with the right products, right? So that you can really help them both. And I think that data play is what really got the team at Industry Dive excited about what to do. We'll do the layup stuff, right? We'll look to Industry Dive publications in markets where they don't have publications, where they have events, but no media. We'll look to launch events at Industry Dive. That's great. But I really think the game changer is going to be when you combine all this data to create something entirely different. And what does it mean for your personal life? How early do you have to wake up for these meetings with Informa? (laughs) (laughs) It means when I roll over, there may be 20 emails already in my inbox with people waiting for a response. I usually get up just before six and try to work out before the day starts. And I find myself getting up a little bit before six and responding to emails and then realizing I've got to now cut my workout short. So I've got to figure out how to fit it all in at the same time, or maybe start working out at night, who knows. But so far, the deal's been closed closed officially on September 1st. We announced it a bit before, but had to go through some of the regulatory hurdles and the rest 
So it's only been a month since we closed. And so far, I continue to be really excited, feel a strong cultural fit with the teams. And what they said so far is what we've seen and what we're trying to do and what they're trying to do has been 100% aligned with what we said six months ago when we started talking we were going to do. So off to a good start. I wanted to ask a question about media valuations. So you're obviously worth £323 million as of September the 1st. And I think you've pointed to this a few times on your Twitter account, I see, but that makes you industry dive bigger than BuzzFeed, which obviously now includes HuffPo and Complex in terms of valuation. I wondered what you think that says about the state of the media in 2022 and the valuations market. Well, I mean, I think it mostly says that I've been asked that I point this out all the time. So I, I think there's a couple things there. Right? Part of that, when I talk about it, is a little bit of a chip on my shoulder that I've always had, right? which is that I, I felt that we were building a great media company that was incredibly profitable. I mean, we had north of 30% margins almost from the beginning. And that's because that's the discipline you have to have when you're bootstrapped, right? We didn't have venture capital dollars to spend and fund us. And we were building a fast growing company that was highly profitable. And yet, and I think the team was building something truly incredible. And I wanted the team to get recognition. And yet you couldn't get the mainstream media to cover us because they were covering the BuzzFeeds and the rest of the world, right? And so that, truthfully, that frustrated me at different times of what we're doing. I actually have a lot of respect for what BuzzFeed's trying to do and what they're doing. I, I think that they may be undervalued right now, which is the interesting piece of this. If you think about the data opportunity and the first party data sets that they could be collecting, if you think about could they have a morning brew type newsletter business in there that they've not even tried to launch, it feels like there's opportunities at BuzzFeed that that are still there. And I think that they're undervalued. And I think Complex you know, has some very niche communities and powerful communities and audiences that could do stuff. So it, the pendulum sort of swung where they were wildly overvalued and I was annoyed at them all the time to now they swung back. And I actually think the media operator in me thinks there are things you could do with that company that could prove the naysayers wrong. And so I'm rooting for them to do that. In terms of the valuations overall, I, I think what I just said, they swung really high for companies that weren't profitable and, the, and that maybe didn't have the most defined audiences. I think for companies right now, particularly have strong target audiences with brands that people really connect with, the valuations can still hold up. And I think they're, the exciting thing to me is there's the in, media industry is much better at monetizing media now than they were 10, 15 years ago, right? And I think the stronger brands have incredibly sustainable business models that can grow. And so I think there are, you're going to see companies with good multiples, good valuations, and deservedly so. One final question. If when Informa bought Industry Dive, they said to you, okay, you move on now, what would you be doing instead? If you were launching a new media business today, what would you be doing if it wasn't Industry Dive? Well, thankfully, they didn't say that. And I probably would have tried to scuttle the deal if that was the plan, because it, it feels like there's still a tremendous amount of unfinished business at what we're doing. I, You know, I, I, I think for me, it'd be it's hard to turn off the ambition of growing things. And 
I I really get I get up every day and my partners get up every day because we like gro- growth is winning to us that we like to win. And we years ago thought, hey, this could be a nice lifestyle business. Keep it here and it wouldn't be hard and we could cash checks. And we just said that wasn't really what we wanted to do. And so it's a long way of saying is there's part of me that says, man, could I be an individual creator that just wrote about one of the industries that I really cared about? Or could I create something that dominated one of of our industries and go deep in one industry and have a passion project? But I don't think I'd be happy doing that. I think I'd want to grow. And so for me, if it wasn't for this, I don't know if I'd go all the way back to three three of us in one room and go up from scratch, but I'd really be thinking about scaled products. I'd really be thinking about the community opportunity that I talked about before and how can I build something across markets that really leverages community as much as media. And I'd start from that. So there you go, Dom. Industry dive, more valuable than BuzzFeed. What do you think about that? I'm not surprised that they're that they're doing so well. Do you think of each one of those verticals that they work in? They're multi-billion-pound industries, aren't they? They should they should be able to charge good money for their for their advertising. And yeah. it's great to see them doing so well. What do you think, Will? Do you, what do you think of the big the big take-homes from this one? Should is the future looking rosy for B two B? Should we all be going for B two B without paywalls and just going down the advertising route? Mm, well, I guess it's a bold time to be doing that with the recession looming or already here. But yeah, despite that, Industry Dive, Sean Griffey seems very optimistic. Full disclosure, we did speak last month and it's a fast-moving situation, but I think he would still say exactly the same now. And yeah, he wants to expand fast. He sees he sees there as being around 30 new markets that Industry Dive could expand into. And there could be even more publications by the sounds of it within the next decade for them. So yeah, and he doesn't seem to have any plans to shift his business model, albeit he wants to make the most of being of being part of Informa, which has a, an advanced events business as well. Yeah, I'd say Sean sounds very optimistic, and I think that's an encouraging sign for the rest of us. Yeah, I think 323 million is probably not all that much for industry. I'd be thinking about Lloyd's List which just covers the shipping industry. So just one bird that sold for 395 million in August sold by Informa. I think uh, industry dives probably got a long way to go. Probably worth us all having a closer look at it to try and uh, work out how they're doing so well. Brilliant. Thanks, Will. You've been listening to The Future of Media Explained, presented by me, Dominic Ponsford, with Prescott's Associate Editor, Will Turville and produced as always by Adrian Bradley. Please like us and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, don't forget, you can always read more about all the issues we discuss on the podcast. Read our interviews with Sean Griffey on pressconnect.co.uk. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. 
And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.